terrific show. Are you tired of the same old boring turkey? Because we're tired too. We're going to fix that turkey up to make it amazing. The first step to making an amazing turkey is you buy one. So once you buy the turkey, you need to turn on an oven. And they could put it on 50 or like a little more. We have to put the crumbly bread stuff inside. The crumbly bread stuff has mushrooms inside. Let's put something else in. I bet you hate waiting for your dessert. So why not just make dessert in the turkey? Now go ready and get leftover, some leftover candy and just stuff it in your turkey. Like bubblegum. Like fun dip. Like chocolate. Twix. Wait, why not put instead of turkey sauce, chocolate sauce and marshmallows in? Anything good like sprinkles. Gummy bears. Don't forget gummy frogs as well. Butterfingers. Maple syrup. To finish the topping, a cherry on top. No, that's ridiculous. We're cooking a turkey here. Definitely no cherry, but you can put strawberry sauce. Banana sauce. Banana sauce. <laughs> um, marshmallow sauce. S'more sauce. And donut sauce. Wait, what's donut sauce? I don't know. Then you put it in the oven. Ding! I think it's ready. All right, let's go see how it is. Oh wow, it looks like a, a handful of rainbow explosion. This is gonna be the best thanks Ever. Because of us. Your family's gonna thank us. They'll even wish they were us. See you in the next time on Cooker is It. Goodbye and have the best Thanksgiving ever. It's me. Hey, I'm on now. All right. Really? You're not going to go do that? Oh, yeah. I want to I wanna be abundantly clear. That was not a how-to video. Uh, please do not leave here and go make a turkey like that. I really am stating that for liability reasons. I don't want to get sued. So let's, let's be really clear. That is not what you do with a turkey. I think we all know that, Right? Right? How, by a show of hands, how many of you know what a turkey really should look like? Okay. If you didn't raise your hand, seriously, you've never had turkey? Okay. Even if you haven't made one in your house or seen one in your house or it's not something that's done at Thanksgiving or at Christmas, you probably have seen it in a movie or you've seen it on a billboard or you've seen it somewhere. We all kind of know, most of us kind of know what a turkey should look like. And it ain't that, right? But we should know what a turkey should look like. I got another question for you, though, by a show of hands. How many of you could actually make the turkey the way it's supposed to be? You know how to make a turkey. Okay, I'm counting because I want to know who's... Josh, that's a lie! <laughs> um, no, <laughs> yeah, well... I don't think that's a stretch to be able to do it better than that, right? 
Okay, so here's the big question. How many of you have actually made the perfect turkey in your life? Wow, we got some confident cooks. I didn't ask if you were the perfect turkey or you knew the perfect turkey. I said, did you make the perfect turkey? That's great. That's great. But that, uh, uh, what I did notice, though, is that that list, the number of people that raised their hands, um, went, got smaller progressively, right? You know what it's supposed to look like, right? Most everybody did except Shantae, but, right? Well, you're the one I made eye contact with and said, no, I've never had turkey, right? But the number of people that said they know what it looks like was, was pretty high. It was most of the congregation. And then as we went to who knows how to do it, some of the hands went down. It was fewer, right? And still fewer who said, were confident enough to say, oh, yeah, I can do this. We got that. Wow, Paula, you should never have to cook a turkey again because he's got this. Is that what you're, is that what you're hearing? Because that's what I just heard. You're holding him to it. Good for you. Good for you. He said no problem. We all heard that, right? A hundred people heard you say, no problem, okay? So there is a difference, though, between knowing what something should look like or be and actually being able to do it and actually being able to do it well. Uh, if we're in, we're in our sixth week of a study on the book of Galatians, we have one more week after this, um, and thus far, Paul has done a great job of describing to the people of Galatia what grace looks like and why grace matters so that they all have an understanding of what it really means. But if we stopped our study right now, we would stop before Paul started to tell them how to actually be graceful, how to actually produce that grace, foster that grace, and be people that are full of grace to one another and to the world around them. And so this week, we're going to kind of try to dive into that, dive into some of the ways that Paul directs them to find that grace. And we're going to treat it like a, we're going to treat it like a recipe. We're going to treat it, although it is not, it's not that simple and not that easy, those of you who said you've cooked the perfect turkey know that you can make it the same way every time, and once in a while, it's not going to turn out right the way you'd hope. Something's going to happen. It, it's a different oven, right? You got a new oven, and now all of a sudden, it doesn't work the way it did. Maybe your, maybe your spices were too old, and so they, they lost flavor. It doesn't taste the same. Did you know that happens after a time? About a year. How many of you have a cabinet full of spices that are more than a year old? Okay. <laughs> That's like all of us, right? <laughs> but the reality is they lose their flavor after they've been open for about a year. They really, really do. They get better. That's wine. That's not spices. Yeah, okay. Cheese? Did you say cheese gets better when it's older? To a point. There's some places where I just... Anyways, we're getting sidetracked. So... The point would be, um, though it is not always neat, clean, and easy, the reality is there is, in some ways, kind of a recipe that Paul's going to go into. 
and, and, and he's going to be really clear about who the real chef in that recipe is. It's not those two guys that were making that turkey. They are clearly not chefs, right? Or the kids, because you know how that's how that board shorts works, right? It's, they're telling what the kids said, how they described it. But we're going to talk about who the, the real chef is and trying to, to, to develop an understanding and to be able to be people of grace, to be filled with grace. And I'm going to tell you who the chef is up front. It's not me. It's not Paul. It's not even that Paul who clearly knows how to make a turkey, right? It's actually the Holy Spirit. And in fact, we're not going to call him the Holy Spirit. We're going to call him Holy Spirit from the rest of the way out during this. Why am I going to do that? Because the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an it. (laughs) It's not a thing. Holy Spirit is a person. That is his name. He is part of the, the trinity of God, of what makes God who he is, right? And I think that's important for us to understand because because the whole, because Holy Spirit is, see, I'm doing it too, because Holy Spirit is not this tangible person that sits in front of us every day, we have a tendency to relegate it to being an it. It's a thing. Holy Spirit is not a thing. Holy Spirit is a person. Holy Spirit feels The Scriptures tell us that we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit. You can't grieve Holy Spirit if He's not alive, right? Holy Spirit prays for us. He intercedes for us. Holy Spirit speaks to us. Holy Spirit is what we've been promised by the Lord to be indwelt with once we come to know Him. And importantly, He says that's better than having Him standing right next to you. Holy Spirit is a person living alive and active within each and every one of us who knows the Lord. The problem is we don't always listen to him. So let's let's get into Paul's recipe. We're going to look at Galatians 5 today, chapter, chapter 5, verses 13 through 25, but we're going to do it in sections, okay? So the first one is this. It says, Galatians 5, 13 through 16, it says, For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. Coming, Gregory did an, wasn't that a great poem, by the way, that he wrote? Isn't that amazing? He did a poem on, on Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving is coming up, but there's something else that comes up right around Thanksgiving time. Go ahead. Black Friday! And I, the collective groans were amazing, right? Black Friday is, Heather used to always go out with her cousin and, and our daughter and, and her daughter and another cousin every, every Thursday night into Friday morning. So at midnight, they would all get in a van and go. Now, Heather rarely came back with stuff. She really just went to hang out with her cousins because that was the one time a year that she got to hang out with her cousins for an extended period of time and would do that. But as the husband at home wondering where his wife and daughter are in the middle of the night and seeing stories on the news of somebody at Walmart getting crushed, right? 
or a stabbing taking place over a Barbie doll, right? Because it happens, I was a little nervous. Which leaves me wondering why people go out on Black Friday. Why do you think they do that? Some, okay. Okay, it's a tradition, right? That could be. You don't? No. I had visions of you dropping elbows on people's heads going, give me the TV! Right? Okay. Get the best deals, save money, right? Addiction. Oof. Okay. Could be a shopping addiction, yes. Go straight for the bad stuff. Good job. I think, really, I would like to think, really, that most people go Black Friday shopping, at least as they start, the idea where the idea begins, as an idea to be able to save money because the deals are better, right? And to actually provide more gifts for more people in their life. I want to think that. Do I think competition is part of it? Yes. Do I think people just like to win? Yes. Do I think they just want the tradition or they want the social piece of what it means? Yes, but I, I like to think that it at least started, starts with the idea of buying gifts for people you love, of trying to do more with the resources you have, of trying to take advantage of that opportunity. Is that the case? I don't know for sure, but I'd like to think it is. It's interesting that there are, are many things in our life, I think Black, Th- Black Friday included, that start with, the can start with very, very good motivations, but somewhere along the way can go sideways. And it goes sideways in our faith life in particular when what starts as a good intention to follow the Lord and follow the Holy Spirit is interrupted by this thing we call the flesh which essentially means it's interrupted by me. It's interrupted by you. We see that in other pieces of our lives, too. As as parents, we want what's best for our kids, right? We want what's best for our kids, and we encourage them, and we push them, and we, we try to help them become everything they need to be. We educate them. We want what's best for them. But have you ever been in a discussion with your child where that stops being the primary motivator. What I mean to say is this, have you ever been in a position where you're having a discussion about what's best for your child and you're trying to help them and all of a sudden a switch flips and it turns into an argument and a screaming match and if you had to really go back and look at it, you would say to yourself, I stopped caring about what was best for them and I started caring about winning the fight. I started caring about their disobedience to me because they weren't listening to me, right? I started caring about being right. And, you know, what's really funny about that, that moment, we don't recognize it when we're in the middle of it. I promise you that those people that rushed the door at Walmart and crushed people did not leave there that morning going, I'm putting on my shoulder pads, right? They went there with good intentions and good purposes And somewhere along the way, their flesh got involved. It happens to us easily when the the temperature's hot, when when there's adrenaline 
pumping through our veins and there's pressure upon us or there's, there's something that's incited that flesh and kind of triggered it to get moving, it's interesting how quickly it gets too hot, how quickly we, our, our flesh takes over what we know we should be doing, where the argument with our kids stops being about helping them be better and starts becoming us winning. It happens with couples. It happens with dating couples. It happens with married couples. It happens with brothers and sisters. It happens, it seems to happen in church too sometimes. It happens with those with whom we have the deepest relationships. Somewhere along the line, it crosses. And Paul makes no, no bones about it in this particular scripture. These two things are in competition with one another. The notion that, that, that our anger or our frustration is always a good thing is completely contrary to what the Holy Spirit would want us to think. In other words, there are times to be righteously anger, angry, but most of the times we are angry, we're not being righteous. And it's really hard for us to know when that switch is flipped. Because I don't know about you, but once my emotions are involved... I'm ready to go, right? But most of the time, if I have to stop and think about when I've been angry, when I've said something I shouldn't have said or done something I shouldn't have done, if I had to look back, I have to go, you know what? If I'm being honest with myself, it's not because I was being righteous. It's because I was concerned with being right. It was not driven by the Holy Spirit. It was driven by Rob. And Paul says, look, when you do that, when you let your flesh take over I mean, it says, you will bite and devour one another. Watch out or you will be consumed by one another, it says in verse 15. That is, that is a picture of wild animals attacking each other. That's disgusting. And yet here he is saying this happens to the people of Galatia when they lose sight of the Holy Spirit and they allow their flesh to take over. And Paul's admonition here is if you really want grace to be part of, the, part of who you are. If you want to find that end product, I've told you what it's supposed to look like. I've told you what grace looks like. I've described it. I've told you why it matters. But if you really want to do that, you're going to have to find a way to separate the drive of the Holy Spirit from your own drives because they are enemies in a lot of respects. And most of your problems are probably not God-related. They're probably you-related. It's a pretty intense thing to swallow, right? I don't want to hear I'm the problem in a relationship. Because who is the problem? Them. Whoever them is, right? Not me. The reality is, though, in this case, Paul's telling them most of the time it probably is you. Jeremiah 17 said the same thing of this about the human condition. He says, the heart is more deceitful than anything else. Your heart will lie to you, especially in the midst of anger. Your heart will tell you things and that you feel with every core of your being are valid, but at the end of the day, they are not. They are driven by the flesh and not driven by you are not driven by the Spirit of God. So he says, you need to remember that. You need to remember that, that you, you should not allow your flesh to overheat you. We're sticking with the cooking analogy, right? 
to set the oven temperature too high. What happens if you try to cook a turkey at 700 degrees? Charred on the top and raw in the middle, right? Your emotions ever feel that way? You ever feel like you're charred and yet raw? Disconnected, things aren't right? It might be because you've allowed your flesh to get too hot. (laughs) You've been too emotionally engaged in yourself and not in what the Spirit is guiding you toward. And it's an easy thing to happen. I tell you this, and Paul tells them this, so that they'll be aware of it. So that they'll recognize that sometimes when you're on fire, it's not a good thing. And you need to breathe just a little bit and try to listen for that spirit that's whispering into your ear. Because he might be telling you something very different. Let me go to the next one. Holy Spirit gives instructions. This is Galatians 5, 17 through 21. It says, for the desire, for the flesh desires what is against the spirit. Remember, we just talked about it, that it's an opposition. And the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. The spirit's job is to keep you from doing what you want. Yikes. I like to do what I want. Do you like to do what you want? Always. Or I would do something else, right? Okay, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. Yeesh, that's a list and a half, isn't it? I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before, so that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Put up that next picture, if you would, please. Anybody know who this kid is? Great. His story was in the news a couple of months ago. His name is Jonathan Toms. Jonathan Toms is 14 years old, and he went to um, the doctor to do a routine physical for sports right? Kids do that all the time. He goes to the doctor to do his routine physical for sports. This was back in September of this year. And the doctor hears, as he's doing the physical, something goofy about his heart rhythm. It's not right. And the doctor says, you know what? It's more than just a normal murmur, because most of us have some murmur. We have some irregularity in our heartbeat. He said, there's something else going on here. So they hooked him up to an EKG, And the EKG said Jonathan Toms at 14 years old was having a heart attack. And he said, I'm not having a heart attack. I feel fine. I feel totally normal. And the doctor said, well, you're acting normal. We don't quite understand what this is. We don't know why. So they, they, they ran more tests and they, they, they brought him in the next day and, and, and the EKG still said he was having a heart attack. It took them a week to figure out what it was. He has something called, let me get this right, anomalous left coronary artery from the pulmonary artery. Okay? So what this means is this. The coronary artery is the blood vessel that supplies blood to your heart. Yes? If you're a nurse, fix me. Am I right? Yeah? Okay. Supplies blood to your heart. Now, if you want blood supplied to your heart, where, what kind of blood do you want? Oxygenated or unoxygenated? 
You want oxygen to be in there, right? Because that's what keeps the heart muscle alive. A heart attack is a myocardial infarction. It's a death of a portion of your heart muscle. That's what it is from lack of oxygen. So his problem was that the main artery from birth, in fact, most people who get this die within the first year if they don't have the surgery, the, heart, the, the blood that was filling this part of his heart was not coming from an oxygenated source. It was not coming from his aorta. It was coming from his pulmonary artery. And the doctors are going, physically impossible. You should be dead. There's no way. So they crack open his chest. And they fix the problem. They do all the major surgery to move the arteries around and get the blood supply going. But what they found out while they were in there is that his body had adapted. It had built what they call microvessels. Tiny little microvessels that were moving from those oxygenated veins into that heart muscle. And the truth is, Jonathan hadn't just had a heart attack. He'd been having a heart attack his whole life. Because his body was getting just enough oxygenated blood to keep him alive. Just enough. Not enough to be healthy, but enough to be alive. And as they went back and looked at what was going on and why, and, and they started to realize what was happening, him and his parents started thinking about things. They're like, well, then that makes sense, this why I was in the hospital in my first year, why that made sense, and they didn't catch it. It makes sense that I have chest pain every time I try to run more than half a mile. I just thought it was asthma. Somebody told me it was asthma, and I've always had this chest pain. It explains why I'm tired, and I've always been tired. See, Jonathan thought that was just his normal he thought that's just who he was. But the reality is that wasn't normal. It wasn't what it was supposed to be. You know, I, I think we have that problem as followers of Christ too sometimes where you know, even as followers of Christ, we limp along thinking things that are from our past. And Paul just listed a bunch, jealousy, anger, selfishness, envy, etc. We think those are our normal and those are things that we're going to just have to survive, but maybe we're really just having a slow spiritual heart attack. When what we really need is to allow the Lord to do the surgery that needs to happen for us to have a new normal, the normal that God intends us to have. I think that is often our relationship with the Holy Spirit. That we let just enough of Him in to keep us from bottoming out instead of saying, God, we need you to do some major surgery on our hearts. We need you to remake us into what we are intended to be. And we just assume that carrying all this baggage and dealing with all this garbage and just that's just who I am I'm just like that, is resigning ourselves to the fact or the, the idea that the Spirit cannot and does not want to heal all of who we are. Now, I don't want to minimize things. I don't want to say there isn't baggage or things we have to unpack or things that we have to do. There are. If you spent 25, 30 years building up carrying baggage, it's going to take a minute to get rid of it, okay? Okay? 
That's a reality. But I am saying that what God desires for us as we pursue Him is complete healing, full healing. And He's given us the instructor, the chef, who's here to be with us and walk with us and whisper in our ears. Holy Spirit is here to help you get to being the perfect turkey. Because we all know at our core we're all turkeys, right? Wow. He's trying to get you here, but we are so often, we just assume because of what we knew before or because of our own weaknesses, we assume that a little improvement's better than nothing. That must be all I got. I'm telling you that God desires full healing. He desires a full life. And Paul tells us how to get it, and that's what we're going to get into in the next three items. He tells us how to get it. The question is, are we willing to do what needs to be done? Or are we just comfortable with our normal chest pains that show up and weakness that we have and angers, jealousy, selfishness, envy, et cetera? Do we just assume they are all normal when the reality is if the Spirit of God is moving, it is contrary to those things and it is not normal? So let's talk about what we need to do to get there. The first item Paul lists is in verse 18. It says we must surrender. That's the first item or ingredient in this recipe is to surrender. Uh, Verse 18 says, if you are led by the Spirit, he implies really clearly, if you are willing to be led by the Spirit, willingness matters because sometimes we want what we want, right? The, the person in that, in that video that we just watched, one of the chefs goes, they're talking about all these different kinds of sauces, right? And he goes, I want donut sauce, right? I want that. And then he, the other guy goes, what's donut sauce? I don't know, but I want it. I love the cherry on top thing, right? It needs a cherry on top. That's ridiculous. We're making a turkey, That made me laugh hysterically. I was like, seriously, at that point, that's your ridiculousness? (laughs) That's what it is? The the truth is we are sometimes unwilling to be led by the Spirit. We want what we want, and we're not willing to not do it. Francis Chan says it this way. He says, when it comes down to it, many of us do not really want to be led by the Spirit. Or more fundamentally, many of us don't want to be led by anyone other than ourselves. It's a bit like saying with John and his, his heart problem, it's a bit like saying, you know what, I know you can fix my problem by, by giving me a great blood flow, an oxygenated blood flow, but I'm going to just survive on my pulmonary artery and my, my micro vessels because it's, I like it that way. We would shake our heads and go, why would you ever do that, Right? If the capacity is there to fix Jonathan Toms, if the capacity is there to to make a great turkey instead of covering it with candy and burning it, right? If the capacity is there, why would we not advise somebody to take advantage of that capacity, to do that, to fix the health problem or to make the turkey right instead? But with our spiritual lives, we do do that with the Holy Spirit, The capacity is there, but we are not willing to submit to where he wants us to go because it means if we surrender to him, then we are no longer in charge. And you don't get donut sauce. As silly as donut sauce sounds, how many things do we hold on to in our life that we really 
are just silly. That are just silly. We can identify it in other people in a heartbeat. Identifying it in ourselves, even if we see it, we're not willing to surrender to him to help get rid of it. Paul makes it very clear. Part of the recipe of finding healing in in the Lord in Holy Spirit, letting him do his work in you means surrendering to what he has planned for your life rather than what you might have planned for your life. That is hard to do. The second ingredient is priority. Warren Wearsby says it this way. He says, we are to worship God, love people, and use things, but too often we use people, love self, and worship things. It's a question of what those things are, those those priorities in our life. It's a bit like cooking a turkey and then reading the cookbook. It's a little out of order. Probably not going to help. It's a bit like burning the turkey to a crisp and then calling Paul or your mother, I would call my mother, sorry, Paul, and say, what did I do wrong? How do I cook a turkey? Too late. You already burned it. You throw it away and you go to the store and you buy a new one. That's what you do. It's a bit out of order, right? It's a bit out of order. It's about understanding that there are things, one thing that has to come before something else. We have our priorities often out of order. Uh, Paul writes this list, this list of issues that we have order. He calls them in four categories. He calls them the sensual things that we have out of order, the things that we use as our source of happiness, the superstitious things, the things we use as our source of security, rather than who? God. The social things that are related to status. You know, if you've ever, if you've ever found yourself thinking to yourself, well, our church is fine, but that church down the road, mm. or I'm fine, but that person down the road, mm. We see teenagers do it to themselves all the time and to each other, right? Teenage boys barking at each other. It happens. And the idea here is to raise yourself up by putting somebody else down. Or seditious ones. Seditious ones are related to control. Who's in charge? These, our priorities, our list of things that we need to follow if we're left to our own devices, if we're left to our flesh, is busted. It puts our security in the wrong places. It puts our control in the wrong places. It puts our, our desire for status in the wrong places. And it puts our source of happiness absolutely in the wrong place. You could go to Black Friday every day, every day, and I guarantee you, you would still not be happy with what you purchased because there would always be something more, something else, because you're not really providing joy or gaining joy. You're gaining a temporary hit. It's a sugar rush from all the sugar they put on top of that turkey. It's a sugar rush. It'll make you feel good for a second, and then what? I need a nap. If I eat a donut, I need a nap, especially the older I get. But Paul says he has a very different list. God, Holy Spirit, has a very different list. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. There's a different set of priorities. If your priorities in life, where you gain your happiness from, is in buying a new car rather than seeing a new relationship build between you and God or between you and one another. If your control, if you find that you're the one who decides what you do with your time and your energy and you're not allowing Holy Spirit to guide your time and your energy and yes, even your money, then you're putting all of your eggs in the basket of your flesh. You're letting your body, your mind, your heart, your soul, my heart, my heart, my mind, my soul drive where you can go to and how healthy you can be spiritually. When the reality is we know about as much about making ourselves healthy as those two guys did know about making a turkey. Not much. Now, admittedly, as we get closer and closer to the Lord, as we come to know Him better, our knowledge grows because we are trusting Him to provide it. And it gets better. But you have to let Him do His job. And you have to follow His ingredient list and His priority list or you're in trouble. The last thing it takes, so we've talked about the right temperature, letting, or talked about surrender. We've talked about the right priorities. Let's talk about commitment. That's the last thing. Check out verse 24 and 25. It says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us all also keep in step with the Spirit. You know, um, I, I'm a really impatient guy, in case you haven't met me. Um, I want to achieve things and get them done right now. Let's go. I'm a doer. I love checkboxes. I love going done, 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 done. Anybody else like that? Diane Hickey? Uh-huh, 100%. I know you. Done, 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 done. I feel better about things, right? I feel good about that. But part of my lack of ability to, to, to be patient because I struggle with it sometimes. It shows up, I don't bake. You know I don't bake? Heather will tell you I do not bake. I do lots of cooking, but I do not bake. I do not bake partially because I cannot stand not opening the oven every five minutes to see where something is. I can't stand it. I have to know if it's done or not done. I have to check the pie with a toothpick, I don't know, one, two, five, ten, twenty times. If I open the oven 20 times, it ain't going to get cooked. It is not going to get done. I'm not committed enough to let the recipe do the thinking for me. I'm not committed enough to let the experts who wrote the recipe or telling me what to do with it. You know, even if it's a store-bought pie, if it's Marie Callender's on the back of the box, she's pretty clear, do this, right? And I'm still not willing to trust this. Forget the fact they've sold literally billions of pies over the last 20 years. I think I know better. 
and I've got to check their results anyways. I think sometimes we do that with our nature. We say, okay, God, you, you, you have a path laid out for me, but I'm going to go back and I'm going to double check your path. I'm going to compare it to what I know. I'm going to compare it to where I think we should probably go or what we should probably do. It's akin, if you're going to double check everything God wants you to do, <laughs> you're never going to be baked properly. You're, well, that's a horrible analogy. You're, you're never going to be completed. You're never going to be done. You're never going to be what he intended to be. It's a matter of trust and a matter of commitment to the task at hand. Paul says to crucify the flesh. That is a powerful phrase and something Jesus knows just a little bit about, right? To crucify the flesh means to set it aside. Jesus gets that. He understands that. He knows how that feels, physically knows how that feels. It's not something he wanted. He even said in Luke twenty-two forty-two, 42, take away this cup from me. If it's possible, I don't want to do this. This is not going to feel good. And then he says, he knows how difficult it is. That's why in Luke 9, he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. He knows how pesky our flesh is. He gets it. He knows that we can be our own worst enemy at times. And the flesh doesn't give up easy. I don't give up easy. Do you give up easy? I got a pretty strong will. How many of you are strong-willed? How many of you have strong-willed children? More hands fired in the air. If you have a strong-willed child, they have a parent who may or may not be source of some of the strong willness. That's not even a word. Well, let's go with it. Okay? He knows that it requires a commitment. You know, if we were to go back to Luke 22, he says, after he says, take this cup away from me, he says, yet not my will but yours be done. He knows that it takes a commitment to the process and the path that God has laid out for us. But he also knows not that it's difficult, not just that it's difficult or it feels bad or that it requires a commitment. He also knows it's a necessity. And I think we sometimes have a lot of difficulty understanding that if we are to become everything God wants us to become in Christ, commitment is a necessity. Commitment to the path that he has laid out and crucifying killing off, getting rid of, yes, those are strong words. That's kind of the wording he uses, killing off the path that we have laid out, leaving it for dead in a ditch, not referring back to it, is required if we are to move forward. And that may be the hardest thing of all to ask. Kyle Eidelman says it this way in his book, Not a Fan. It says it this way, so in case someone left it out or forgot to mention it when they explained what it meant to be a Christian, let me be clear. There is no forgiveness without repentance. There is no salvation without surrender. There is no life without death. And there is no believing without committing. Paul makes that abundantly clear here that we cannot really come to know the Lord unless we're willing to surrender to His will. 
We cannot really be saved from ourselves because oftentimes that's what we're being saved from is ourselves, right? So the will of the spirit and the will of the flesh, they butt heads. I am made of flesh, you are made of flesh. It is our will that's in the way. If we can't surrender to that, we can never find the true healing salvation we're intended to have. We can have just enough to get by. And that's a sad thing. We're not supposed to have just enough to get by. We're supposed to be healed. And we can be. He says there is no life, this new life, this new path in Christ without death unless we're willing to crucify our previous path, ourself, the flesh, to lay it aside and let it not drive us. Finding life is nearly impossible, at least not the life that we're intended to have. And there is no believing really believing and faithfully trusting the Lord's guidance without committing to Him. You cannot do it halfway. It doesn't work. There is no such thing as balancing the Holy Spirit's work in your life. We like, we like balance in our lives, right? But a commitment to the Lord is a commitment to allow Holy Spirit to do what He's built to do. And that honestly, we're not so good at without Him. But I don't want to leave us with that. We're not alone in that process, this difficult thing, because of the presence of Holy Spirit. In verses 24 and 25, let's accent a different section. It says, Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And here, here's the money statement. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is important for us to understand if the Spirit is walking, we're intended to walk with Him, yes? He desires to walk right alongside you. He never says, go off, surrender to me. He never says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prioritize, reprioritize your life. I'm going to set it and forget it and walk away from the oven and let the turkey bake and see what happens. I'll come get it when the little popper goes, right? Right? He doesn't say that. He says, I will stand there. I will stand there right outside the oven and I will watch it bake with you. I'm right here with you. I haven't left you. I haven't forsaken you. I haven't walked away from you. I am walking this path with you. And your job is to just try to keep up with where I want you to go because I will hold your hand and I will go with you. He promises that Holy Spirit will be with us until the ends of the age, that he will be with us always, that he will be our counselor and our guide and our advocate and our intercessor with the Lord. He will be there with us all the time, every minute. God does not leave us hanging. The question is, are we willing to take the help we need? Are we willing to surrender to his will? Are we willing to reorganize our priorities? And are we willing to commit? Because without those things, we're, we're never going to be who God wants us to be. There is no other way around that. Okay. I think I'm done. Any questions? Okay. All right, so... 
If everybody would stand, that would be fabulous. Huh, shock to your system. Everybody up. Shake, shake your arms out, shake your legs. I put a few of you to sleep. Let's fix that. We've got some praying to do. We close our service every week with a time of prayer where we, spend an, we take an opportunity to read off a list of some prayers that were given ahead of time and also take opportunity to hear new prayers where Holy Spirit might have, might have stirred you during this time. So let's look at a few of these. Uh, Nita brings a prayer for, uh, for Lori Sider. She has breast cancer. She has surgery on Tuesday. We would ask for prayers for her. Tim and Jan have asked for prayers for Jerry Pitzer. Is that correct? Uh, he has cancer as well. How is Tim doing? Is he doing pretty good? Okay. That's one. Is he here and I just didn't see him? Okay. Praise God he's doing better. That's wonderful. Uh, Tracy asked for prayers for Keith Reefstall. He's not feeling well. Um, he, his, his hemoglobin count is up. It was 9.4 yesterday, but, but he's having some other side effects that are not good. He's not. Are they in the ER right now? Okay. So he's indefinitely in need of your prayers right now because he's in the ER. Patty Elliott has asked for continued prayers for Billy. He's doing better. His nerves need to continue to grow back together, and that's what we're praying for, right? Okay. Uh, Mark Shu, he's not here today, in case you weren't aware of it. Mark Shu's mother, Mary, who we've seen wheeled up in a wheelchair at times, passed away this week. Uh, the funeral will be on Monday um, at Eicholtz in uh, DeGraff. There's information in the newspaper, or you can look them up online. Um, it's a difficult time for them. His dad is also sick, so we're not really sure how much longer the whole family needs your prayers. Brittany Slyker asked for prayers for, you're going to have to help me with her name, your grandma's church. What's her first name? Beverly Boner. She's the wife of the pastor at her grandmother's church. Um, she has cancer? Yes. We'd like to ask for prayers for her. And... Uh, Brittany told her that uh, the whole church would be praying. And I think that's a beautiful thing that we can say that, that we can pray for one another hundreds of miles away. Holly asked for prayers for the troops. And for young Daryl, he has pancreatic cancer. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Okay. Pancreatic cancer is a tough one, though. It really is. Thomas Easton has asked for prayers for his grandfather, Elmer. Uh, he's very, very confused, possibly had a stroke. Uh, we're trying to figure out what's wrong there. We asked for prayers there. Uh, I would like to ask for prayers. Jerry brought this to my attention, as did Greg. Um, uh, I went to see Bernice a couple days ago, and she was very, very weak. Um, and according to Jerry, it looks like two days, maybe a week. Um, Here's what I can tell you about Bernice. Bernice is at peace with where God is taking her. She knows, she knows with all of who she is that the Lord has got her in his hands. And when it happens, she will be fine. She will be blessed. Our prayers really need to be right now for Barb. That's my humble opinion. Um, Barb is not taking it well. And for the cult family as a whole, 
Bernice is a wonderful woman, and this, is, this will be a great loss. She's a blessing to many and has been for years. And her jokes are unbelievable. Her sense of humor is amazing. And her compassion and love is profoundly awesome. So this will be hard on the cult. So please pray for them as they face this challenge ahead. Anybody else? Yes. I have a lot of, I'm not going to be, a lot of unspoken requests. Okay. Family with a lot of things. And I just want people to remember this flu thing going around, you know. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of it. Yeah. And just, you know. Remember, wash your hands and things. Okay. Because a lot of kids don't <laughs> do that. Carol says, some of us are older. Please wash your hands so we don't get the flu. Because none of us need that. Right? Okay. No, I don't mean, but really. Fair enough. It's really, really. Yeah, it is. It's a big deal. And some of the strains right now are really, really ugly. And they will harm some of us who have depressed immune systems for whatever reason. So please be careful. Yes, Bob. We do need to pray and thank our veterans because it is tomorrow is Veterans Day, and I was not going to get out of here without doing that. I was not going to get out of here without doing that. Anything else? Yes. Ezekiel Roy. Okay. Their daughter Ella had their baby on Tuesday. Eight pounds, five ounces. Is that right? Eight pounds, five ounces. Everybody's home, and according to Ella, labor wasn't that bad. And he's already been at the barn. See, raising him well, right out of the gate, right out of the gate. So praise God for that, a new life in this world. Yes, Mr. Tillman. Our granddaughter, Erin Long. Okay. Yesterday. Okay. Went to the hospital last evening in her labor. Okay. It slowed down. She was sent back home. Okay. Okay. So your granddaughter has got to wait. Yeah, but they're supposed to induce tomorrow if something doesn't Okay. So she was due. They're supposed to induce tomorrow if she doesn't deliver today, right? So let's pray for a healthy, healthy delivery, that it goes well, that there are no complications, and that we can also, too, praise God for an amazing new life in this world, right? Okay. Yes. Yeah, one more thing. I'm sorry. Sam? Okay. Okay. Colleen has asked for prayers for her son, Sam. Um, she hasn't said what those prayers are, but he's dealing with some difficulties, some challenges, some things. Let's continue to have pray that the Lord will lift him up. The Lord will strengthen him and his spirit and his soul, and he will surrender to him. Yes. Um, so last night, um, the City on a Hill event for the young adults in uh -huh. this area was phenomenal. Oh, I good. We had a couple of great guest speakers, and I could feel the spirit moving within the people there. It was just an amazing time. Good. I pray for future events. Um, the, the, the young man that organized all this is playing. Andrell, yeah. Andrell is hoping to organize future events with the same people in the same group. And so right. I just pray that that would go well and that... God will always be glorified okay. because that is, a, that is an amazing thing to right. see. So, Greg. We had about 100, 100 young people. That's awesome. Show up. Uh -huh. Wow. So Gregory's excited. He wants to praise the Lord for a young adults event that happened last night uh, where they had over 100 people 
come together and praise the Lord. We pray that it will continue to grow in our communities, that uh, our young people will be strengthened by one another and, and empowered by God to do incredible things in His name, yeah? To feel that spirit. Yes. Yes, praise. You made it back from Toledo. Yeah. Oh, her brother turned 50. Praise God. I'm close. I'm almost there. (laughs) All right. Is there anything else? Let's take some time to pray for our troops and to thank our troops. Um, If you served in the military, I would ask everybody else to sit down except those who served for a minute. You're going to stand for your dad? And mom. And your mom. Okay, that's fine. Stand for your dad and your mom. Look around the room. These are incredible people who have defended our country, have served us. Um, Thank you for your service. We honor you and the sacrifices that you have made so that we can live, we can worship, we can praise the Lord here together. Thank you. Let's, Let's close in prayer. Father God, we are so thankful for your strength. We're thankful for these people that are here standing today, that they have, they have served with such, such strength and such commitment. And we need to recognize that, that their service is what allows us to live freely. We are so, so blessed to have them amongst us, to count them as friends and brothers and sisters. And we try to remain mindful of those who have given their lives for our security and our safety and our freedom. We also today, Lord, ask for your your intervention. You heard our prayers today, those who are hurting, those who are suffering, who are challenged, who are ill. Um, We pray that you will provide peace for their souls. For those of us who have lost, who are losing, those who are dear to us, we know that this is part of life but that doesn't make it any easier. It still hurts. We pray that you will be with the Shu families in particular and the Culp family as they deal with these challenges. We pray fervently right now in this moment that you are doing a miraculous thing with Keith. Keith Reefstall, he's in the emergency room right now as we speak. We openly pray, pray that you will descend upon him and upon the doctors with your spirit the Holy Spirit will speak to them and that they will listen and that you will make miraculous things happen. We know that you can. Keith's life is a testimony to a miraculous hand. <laughs> and and we, we know that he is a powerful witness for you that loves you and gives you all the glory with every step. And we actively pray in this time, in this place, in this moment that you will descend upon him one more time and you will make him healthy that you will do a miraculous work in him so that he can go out and again shout to your glory the incredible things that you've done and the incredible person that you are. Father God, we are thankful for the opportunity to meet here today. We are thankful that you allow us to gather. We are thankful for your strength, for your mercies, and for your grace. We are thankful that you've given us a counselor, an advocate, that you've given us Holy Spirit to walk with us as we continue to be challenged by ourselves. I pray that we will have the strength to surrender to you, to commit to your path to us, for us, and that we might be a blessing into all the world and to one another 
that we may represent you well and that we may be fully and completely healed as you desire. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for your love. And thank you for your son. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.